Welcome to the Dead Pair Podcast, energized by KLMO Game Boy US, with your hosts, Jason Rambo and Sean Alley. Coming in hot with the 411 on all things sporting clays. Your go-to source for information, education, and entertainment from the new shooter to the seasoned competitor. Oh, I'm a junkie, man. I want to play with the buttons. He just I, likes to throw people into the buttons. Right. You're not used to that yet. <laughs> That's part of the show. Does your brain hear what your mouth is saying? Hey, I'm going to call Dave when the podcast is over and ask him what half the words are. Let's rapid fire. Let's do the hot seat. Let's get her done. Often imitated, but never duplicated. And now, it's showtime. Ooh, boy, this one's been a long time in the works. Boy, are are you kidding me? Right? right? <laughs> I mean, this has been a labor of love, but yes. finally made it happen. Yes, for sure. Well, first of all, what's up with you, Mr. Alley, Mr. Large and in charge? Uh, just, you know, full throttle in the middle of summer, busy, busy, busy. Uh, but, you know, one thing I, I was going to mention, Jason, I don't know if I told you this or not. So I've been using, of course, my Negrini case to travel, you know, through air and all that stuff and traveling through uh, through the airlines and stuff, but I've actually started using it more going to local tournaments because yeah. it keeps my gun safer than just a sleeve. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a, had a mark on my gun the other day from that sleeve, so I I'm like, well, from now on out, she's going in the greenie case, and that way <laughs> I know she's protected. Uh, right. <laughs> what about you, man? What have you been up to? Oh man, uh, a lot of the same. Uh, towers are coming down to the final minute here. Websites getting built. Yeah time you guys hear this it probably won't be done it'll it's still a work in progress but traptowers.com yep and it'll have my landing page of clay range design work so that's been taken 90 yeah. percent of my time once um, again labor of love yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but uh kind of excited about the towers uh kind of excited about a lot of the events we have coming up and i'm real excited about our guest we have on tonight. i'll go ahead and let you lay the smack down on all of our listeners yes ladies and gentlemen mr digweed himself is going to be joining us along with paul james uh from game board yep game board uk gonna have the goat on yes yes we are um hey before we get to that real quick i want to bring up David Rudolovich and Chad Roberts are going to be holding a clinic at the Cardinal Center August 1st and 2nd. Uh, for more information on that or to register for the clinic, just call Chad at 949-637-3001 or contact Rasa at the Cardinal Center at 419-253-0208. And if... Uh Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's just before the state shoot, the Ohio State shoot? Yeah. yeah okay. It's the week of. Week yeah. of. Okay, gotcha. Well, that's good timing for anybody that's traveling in and would like to get a lesson with uh, either David and Chad together. So Yeah, and any of the SCTP people, it's not too long after that. If they wanted to somehow or another make a vacation and stick around and take a lesson with uh, Chad or David, that'd be prime opportunity. Absolutely. Also, upcoming questions for the coaches i we have one to do with mr woolley and then we are starting the rotation all over again mm-hmm. uh so again don grant john woolley we've added tracy Wright to that list uh cory cruz brad kidd kevin DeMichael, chad roberts and if anybody including god can get a hold of him david radulovich so <laughs> <laughs> he's mia yeah <laughs> nah, he's not mia he's just incognito yeah he's a busy guy he's a busy guy for sure. Um, one last thing to bring up. Clay Shooting Apparel 
who's making our dead pair swag. They will have dead pair swag available at SCTP. Cool. So anybody that's listening to this, it's getting ready to travel up to the SCTP there at the uh, Cardinal Center, the SCTP Nationals, excuse me. Uh, if you guys want to get a dead pair hat or T-shirt or, or hoodie. Does he have the hats now? Uh, I might have just spoke. might have just put my foot in my mouth. I well, I mean, he, he might. There very well could be. I just haven't seen him yet. So I haven't looked in the last few days. Because I, I might have to get me one. Uh, yeah. Duh. I'm getting a hoodie. Duh. Um, but anyway, if you're going to be at SCTP and you want to save yourself the shipping, get over and see the guys at Clay, uh, excuse me, Clay Shooting Apparel. Heck yes. Heck yes. So, but uh, very excited about this. I don't want to, I, I can't Yeah, let's wait. just go, man. Let's, let's just get George, on, George and Paul on the phone. Heck yeah. Very, very excited for this one. On the phone with us is Mr. Paul James and George Digweed. How y'all doing this evening? Very well, thank you. Very well. Yeah. Um, not brilliant, but uh, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everything all right, George? Yeah, no, I went down with COVID this morning, so uh, it's, uh, it, you know, I haven't had it before, and I'm amazed that I've got through with the traveling that I've done. I've got through this far, but... Uh, Anyway, it uh, doesn't seem to be any easier than people make it out to be. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Hopefully, you'll be on the men soon. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, Jason, I'll let you go ahead and start off, buddy. Well, Mr. James, if you would, to get started, um, let everybody know who you are. How long have you been with Gameboard, and what is your official position there? Sure. So, I've been with Gameboard since 2003, um, so 19 years. My official title is I'm a, I'm a UK director, one of two, uh, for Game Ball Cartridge Company. I'm actually a board director also of the Kent Game Ball Corporation, which uh, incorporates Kent Cartridge in the States. Gotcha. So, you know, the biggest question on everybody's mind is, is ammo, especially here in the States. Um, there's a massive shortage. And, you know, there's no question whatsoever – in our mind, that Game Boy is the best. I mean, look how many world championships have been won, right? But can you tell us some of the struggles that you guys are having as far as producing enough shells to keep up with the demand? Well, you're talking about shortages in the States. I think the problem we're having is there's a worldwide shortage of ammunition. In fact, uh, you know, with COVID and this uh, Russian-Ukraine war, there's a, there's a shortage of most things in the world right now. So yeah. one of the biggest problems we're, we're having um, is is actually getting cases in, getting enough cases, because uh, obviously every case has a steel head. There's, there's, there's a worldwide shortage of steel. Um, one of the big steel plants in, um, in Ukraine was taken out in Mariupol. That was actually one of the, the biggest suppliers to the European market, case manufacturers. So... We're really up against it in the marketplace. Obviously, I'd say there's 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 more people shooting, but production capacity is is down. Um, we're sort of running at seventy five percent of our production capacity, and uh, we, we've probably got one hundred and fifty percent of our usual orders. Wow! So we're working we're working hard to uh, you know to allocate people product, but trust me, I don't want to miss any sales. So it's really frustrating. But uh, hopefully things get better. But 
God knows how long it's going to take to uh, you know to rebuild a steel facility in uh, in Ukraine in the middle of a war. So right. I can't really answer as to when the supply situation will get better. Gotcha. Well, Paul, uh, just a curious question: Have you guys ever had any consideration or thoughts about maybe adding your or expanding your manufacturing over here to the United States, or would that help anything, or is it just mostly the raw materials that are kind of causing the issue? Absolutely, it's it's the raw materials, and let's say we did uh, work on getting a uh, manufacturing facility in the U.S. What we'd have to do is we'd have to um, export from Europe, European powders because we have exclusive powders made for Game Ball. What I try to do is um, it's a it's a bit like getting Coca Cola. No, no matter where you go worldwide, Coca Cola is exactly the same taste and the same product. Right. The last thing I want to be doing is you know boxing and badging, let's say a white gold. And it's a completely different recipe just because we've chosen to get the components from that marketplace. So if it's not white gold, you know, I am not going to manufacture it elsewhere or put, put that um, brand on the box, for yeah. example. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know, that's really admirable does. that you, you take that stance because I know a lot of corporations probably wouldn't hold that hard of a line. No, look, and, and to be honest with you, it sounds crazy. We do not want to be the world's largest ammunition company. We want to be the sort of Rolls Royce where it's just ultimate quality and we're not we're not sort of ch- chasing the bargain end of the market. We want to make a really high quality product at a fair price. So we're never going to be the largest anyway. Gotcha. It's not, not in our philosophy. Gotcha. Well, George, if I can flip over to you, I mean, he brings up a good point. Um, you know, they want to be, Game Boy wants to be the Rolls Royce or the Cadillac of the shotgun world uh, obviously as good as you are you could have uh, gone with any ammunition manufacturer but you stayed with game board i mean do you feel the same way and, and feel that the quality is there and that the the shell performs correctly for you well you say that game board wants to be the the rolls royce i thought it was <laughs> my mistake my mistake <laughs> look, look the reality the reality from where i sit is that uh um I've had a choice in what cartridges I shoot um, over the last probably, I don't know, 40 years now on. Um, and I started shooting Game Boy cartridges in 1984. Um, so I've been with the same brand. Um, I, I, I wouldn't, my brain is so addled, I wouldn't be able to work out 84 to current day. Probably uh, 38 years, is that? Yes. Yes, sir. So, thirty-eight years with the same brand, um, and the reality is that with all of my shooting, with all of my endorsements, be it guns, cartridges, uh, glasses, whatever, I have to go with the world leader because I need that support, backup, and and a trust issue in my head to know that. I'm with something that I can continue to win world championships with. And there's no question that Game Boy gives me that confidence and gives me that worldwide ability to know that that product is going to perform in whatever continent and whatever country we're in. Well, Mr. James, you know, you've got a lot of great ambassadors for the company, like, for example, George Digweed, um, David Radulovich. But Game Boy, you guys strive really, really hard on your customer service right down to the new guy in the sports, which obviously that load, we, the first thing that comes to mind is the Game Boy Evo. 
even though that shot shell lacks some of the key features of the white gold or the dark storm, it still has far superior components to all the other shot shells on the market. Would you not say? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. Look, we've everybody's got to make, a, let's say, an entry level or a first product in the range. Um, the Evo is one of ours. Um, I think one, one, of, one of the key characteristics about the Evo is it's, it's sort of smooth on recoil. Um, but look, we can't alienate people straight away. If you're new to the sport and say, hey, go and shoot a dark storm, they probably wouldn't want to come back with the, the added recoil. <laughs> but obviously there's, 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 a, there's a part of the range which, uh, which suits everybody. But the good thing with the Evo is you've got your key components like the white gold. You've got a little bit less speed. So less speed equals less recoil. I'd say our, our recoil characteristics are smooth anyway, you know, based on the speeds. Um, and you are getting sort of world championship components. They're just made in great production runs to get the cost down. Obviously, you don't have that uh, exclusive diamond shot in the product. But, you know, if you're new to the sport or you're sort of mid-tier shooter or, if you you know, you, you, I wouldn't say a penny pincher, but conscious about cash or you don't have have as much to shoot the top of the range products, you're not going to go far wrong with a product like an Evo. Well, you know, I think, I think, sorry, guys, I think the other, the other thing where, where of note with that conversation is the fact that if you were fairly new to the sport, um, as in new to learning how to drive, you wouldn't learn, you wouldn't learn how to drive in a Ferrari. Right. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely right. You know, the, the reality is that everything, where it's placed in the marketplace has a purpose. Gotcha. I agree hundred percent. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Paul, so here, this brings up another question. So of all the different shells that you guys make is the white gold, your number one shelling shot shell or, or what is your number one selling? Shell? Absolutely. The, I, if, you, if you look at all the markets we supply to, um, and you combine all of the brands together, it would be the white gold because, uh, some markets don't take the lower end products. They just take high end products because, you know, when you go into competitive markets in Europe that have a lot of, let's say, home producers in that market, if you're going to buy an entry-level shell or a corporate shell, you know, just for a have a go, there's plenty of selection. But these guys will buy the top of the range, let's say, professional standard ammunition. So when you when you actually add all that together for each market, it's uh, white gold and followed by dark storm. They're, they're, they're huge, huge sellers for us. Gotcha. And George, what's your favorite shell to shoot? I mean, I, I know what you're going to say, but tell us, tell our listeners, what's your favorite shell to shoot? Uh, look, uh, my favorite shell is one that hits what I'm shooting at. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the, don't, don't, the, don't, don't forget that name on the side of the box, George. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, we, um, I've, I've, look, in, in, in shooting, in shooting the product for 38 years, and knowing Paul from the day he joined, and and without question, um, I'm not saying the company was at that point standing still, uh, but it, it it was it was producing a quality product that I wanted to be involved with. But I would say that the marketing side of it was was almost stationary, and Paul Paul has taken that from from you know a, a little known branded quality product right through now to a global leader and uh and in no way you know he's the development that he's put into that should be 
dismissed in any way. That's, you know, it's been Paul's baby. Game Boy have stood with him. And, and some of the stuff that he's come up with, I mean, we've rebranded the white gold probably two or three times it's in the last 15 years, Paul. Um, Absolutely. I, I appreciate I appreciate that, George. I would I would totally agree that we've always been super high quality, but probably not on trend in branding. Uh, now I believe we're one of the the sort of trendsetters. So it's it's gone it's gone full circle for us. But the good thing with the white gold is again I'll I'll go back to sort of Coca Cola. Coca Cola's evolved over the years, but it still looks the same product, and that's what we try to do with the white gold. Just Keep it modern, but still having that brand awareness with the um, with, with the packaging, etc. And obviously, not change the recipe because it obviously works, George. Yeah, oh, look, absolutely. And and you know what I what I was going to lead on to was that because I've been associated with the company for such a long period of time, and and we've built up an element of trust between us. Um, sure. It's really really nice now that. Um, I'm able to, you know, when we go into when we go into uh, trialing new products, as in with the the quad seals and things like that, that that I would be at the forefront of some of the cutting edge technology that that the company is using, and you know the ability to go out trial a product, um, go back. This is where I think it is. That's where I think it is. Perhaps we could do this. Perhaps we could do that. And then to see the end result, um, the new, for me, the new white gold quad seals are just a, a different um, level altogether. Uh, you know, you've got a, a fibre wad cartridge there, which which eliminates all the time we can use lead, eliminates the, uh, the, the scenario of having a plastic wad. Um, so we're, you know, our accountability is being reduced, and yet the performance is probably as good, if not slightly better than a plastic one. Yeah, so they are more consistent, and 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 just so you guys know, obviously uh, we're massively up against it in Europe for getting rid of lead, getting rid of plastics. It's a bit like you guys are driving around in V8 trucks, and you know we're driving electric cars, horses <laughs> in electric cars. So you don't have the same problems we have, but. What we're trying to do is, is is make the products greener all the time, but without losing performance. It's a bit like the Tesla. Um, you've got you've got what well, they haven't got the range, but you've got an ultra high performance car that's technically better for the environment, and that's 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 what we're trying to do with the shells. Just give the shooters the the you know the edge on performance like they usually enjoy. Right. Just trying to make them a little bit greener. Not because we're sort of vegans or eco warriors at Game War, but it's just the way legislation is taking us in Europe now. You know, yeah. sure. I, I'd say we're sort of further ahead than what you guys are for for cleaning up our acts. Yep, I would agree with that. Gotcha, George. Do you still have your signature shell available through Game War? Yeah, the the the, the, uh, the white gold and uh, pigeon extreme. It's all uh, basically it's not signature range anymore. It's called the Champion's Choice. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure who they were referring to when it came to the champion, but, but it may have been me. <laughs> I'd, I'd say one of the bad moves I've made when you go back to sort of branding, marketing, uh, one of the bad moves, uh, what I did is I used to put how many times this is used by X times world champion George Digweed. And George was costing us that much money and, you know, scrapping packaging, winning every year. <laughs> we just changed it to multiple times world champions. So there you <laughs> the, go. The write-offs are doing on a yearly basis. Uh, the accountants weren't happy. 
Well, that's a good problem to have, right? Absolutely. It's good for sales and marketing, but not for bean counters. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's shift gears for, for a little bit here, guys. Um, Paul, what is your take on the industry as a whole? I mean, from your position, do you think sporting clays, you know, we're moving in the right direction, or do you think maybe there's some gaps in it? And I'd like to hear George's take on that too. But, uh, Paul, let's start with you. For, for me, I'm not, look, I'm not going to be up, up on this like you guys. Um, you know, my, my speciality is looking at, you know, how many cartridges we should be selling. But obviously, as long as the, as long as the sport is growing um, and, you know, we're, we're hitting that sort of mid to high level tier with shooters, I'm, I'm sort of all up for it. There's, there's, there's no right or wrong for me as long as people are buying the ammunition. Obviously, we don't want new shooters go, coming in, but old shooters going out, which there needs to be something for everybody. So right. as far as I'm concerned, I've, I've seen the sport grow. Um, you know, I think it's more accessible in Europe. Definitely. It's more accessible. Um, and I, th- I think we're seeing new faces and it, and it, and it can't be a bad thing, but you know, I'm not going to comment what's good and what's bad because I'm not the expert in that field. Gotcha. George, what do you say about that? Uh, yeah, look, I think, I think that, um, the sport is definitely on the up. Um, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people talk about the, you know, getting young shots in and that sort of thing. Well, I, I, I get where they're coming from and I understand fully the impact that shooting has on uh, youngsters, but the demographics show that, you know, the basically the, the juniors that shoot now are, are the sons of the people that already shoot and they shoot right through to they finish in the juniors and then women come along and they've got to go out and work and and pay their own their own extras and all of a sudden we lose that market completely there's a there's a fairly buoyant market of of juniors and and young girls and that that shoot uh, off the back of their off the back of their parents to perhaps 21, 22. And then we lose that that market and it comes back around 35, 36. So I think if uh, if people were going to look at, you know, where the sport was lacking, it would be in that demographic of sort of 23 to 35, 36. And, you know, maybe some shrewd marketing people could come up with some ideas there. But it is obviously a financial scenario. Yeah. Um, I think I think that uh, for me, uh, social media has got very heavily involved with how how the sport is uh, managed and pushed forward. And then sometimes I'm not sure that it's actually promoted in its best light. Um, you know, I think. I think we there seems to be a, a growing divide from uh, the few at the very top to the masses that are underneath. Um, and basically, it's our sport for everybody. And just because you can go out and shoot 100 straight doesn't mean you say you're better than anybody else. So, you know, I think that the social media side of it may be needing to be addressed Um like you guys over there, the way you shoot over there is very different to here. You know, we can do two or three shoots in a day, uh, weather and time and distance permitting. 
whereas, you know, most of your events are big events where you're there from Wednesday through Sunday and you probably shoot anywhere between 500 and 1,000 targets. We don't do that here. Um, and I just think that, you know, they need to be very, very careful. Once you start getting to hotels, airline flights, you know, the cost of living is up in here, in this in Europe, between 10 and 12% already this year. And you start adding, adding that up with an increase in shell prices, which is no fault of the manufacturers. Um, it's just, you know, how our stuff is is uh, is rising. The cost of the cost of product is rising. Your petrol prices, your airline flights, your hotel bills, uh, hiring a car. When we came to the States last time, the most expensive item for the whole week was the hire car. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, all of a sudden you start putting that together and – you know, we look at the European Compact Championships with this last weekend in uh, Santiago in northern Spain, and uh, they had an entry of 336. Uh, for the last eight years, at least, it would have been between 800 and 1,000. Obviously, the Ukraine war has got quite a lot to do with it because there will be 150 Russians not attending and probably 50 Ukraines. So that takes 200 out of the market. But even so, there's still a shortfall of at least 250, 300 there. So, yeah. um, you know, it's these sort of things we need to be looking at now. And, you know, if we, if we as an organisation, are not getting the required amount of entries to an event, do we shorten that event to make everybody's costs go down? You know, these sort of things I think that uh, the industry needs to look at to make to make what we're doing either remain the same in a financial context or become more financially uh, affordable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'd agree with that, George. I think, I think the problem for us is sort of, let's say, an ammo manufacturer. Nobody's ever going to be interested in... Um, let's say, starting shooting because you think Game Boy Dark, Storm Ammo looks cool. They've got to be in the sport already. Um, and, and like you say, that the sort of younger guys from, let's say, 21 to 35, who are just getting their um, you know, feet on the ladder, potentially with a property, just starting a career, it's an expensive sport to join, especially yeah. in England. How difficult is it to go and get a gun? You know, you are not starting shooting unless a family member does it. You know, it's certainly not as accessible as it is it as it is in the in the United States. So, those guys have got more of an opportunity to get the young kids involved, and you see that when you travel internationally. Look at all the sort of young kids that look professional. You know, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of our youngsters they're not on the same sort of page as the guys from the US, and I think that comes down to funding more than anything. Yeah, yeah I would yeah. agree. Totally. Well, you know, I wanted to touch on something that both of you mentioned. Um, there's that disconnect, you know, from the time that the youth shooters are relying on their parents, and then there's kind of a gap after they come out of college or whatever, and they start working, they get a, they get a girlfriend, they get a family, they get a house, you know, and all these other ancillary costs come up. And then, but they finally do typically come back to the, to the sport, like you said, in their 30s. 
you know, back in the day when we started shooting, everything was hand set, hand traps. You had a trapper that followed you out. And boy, was it a rude awakening to come to our first tournament. Everything's electronic throwers. You know, everything's flying out faster and farther than we've ever seen it before. Um, but, you know, so, so with that, the level of talent has risen to meet what these throwers, these uh, electronic throwers are able to do. And I feel like ever since we got back into it and started shooting registered targets, it feels like the bar keeps raising, you know, like it just, these target setters and stuff keep trying to push the envelope uh, and really, really kind of get out there. So George, I was going to ask you, I mean, do you feel like it's necessary to keep raising the bar to keep pushing uh, so that we keep the top level shooters satisfied at a tournament, so to speak, or are we kind of harming the entry level guys that are just getting into the sport when they go to a tournament? And let's face it, me and Jason just got back from the U S open. They were some severely uh, tough targets. And I know that if I was a, a lower class or a beginning shooter, I would have been probably very frustrated at trying to compete at that event. So I'm just kind of curious as to your thoughts about how things are going and how they're progressing in our sport. Yeah. Look, uh, um, there's something there needs to be something for everybody, and whether you have the hardest shoot in the world or the softest shoot in the world, the best shots will always come out on top. So, you know, I, I think that the course designer has to get it right and make sure that there's something for everybody. Um, uh, but I also do feel, uh, and in 2018, I set uh, the world championships at EJ Churchill, and it was, it was, I, I achieved the score that I wanted to achieve with the winning score, but there was only a few in and around that score. Uh, however, in my view, you are shooting a world championship and, and, you know, I, I would not, I think and this is where the social media side, which I was talking about earlier on comes back in, you know, if, if, uh, if everybody's being told on social media, get over to Churchill's and shoot the World Championship, you'll have a huge amount of fun and everything else, um, and we're all going to break targets, well, you're really missing the point of a World Championship. It's already, you know, we're already miles up the road in the fact that I can't go and play golf with Rory McIlroy, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tiger Woods, on a Sunday afternoon at the Masters right. because it's an elite event. Uh, the World Championship and anybody that wants a World Championship title has got to be prepared to win an elite event. There are 10 million shoots worldwide for the masses. Now, if you, if you don't want to get beaten up, don't enter a World Championship. But for your South, South Regional or your... Eastern Regional or your whatever, you know, still big shoots. Uh, and that is your chance to go and rub shoulders with the biggest and the best. Then it should be, it should be something for everybody. And if a big score wins it, a big score wins it and the masses are able to enjoy the event, it'll still be, it'll still be the best shot that wins it, whether he shoots 196 or 176. But at 176, he's alienated, the course design has alienated 60% of the field. And at 196, he's probably going to have 100 messages on social media saying how everybody enjoyed it. 
Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, probably hard to please everybody like it always is. <laughs> I know that you, you, you can't, but, but at the end of the day, um, a world championship, a national championship, like you, you have it in your, in, in your golf. Is it the, um, the USPGA is the one that they always set that much harder? And I've seen it where they haven't watered the greens and on the last day the balls are landing on the green, sitting there for about five minutes and then the wind blows and it blows the ball off the green. Um, that is the ultimate test for the ultimate professional. But they know what they're going to get when they sign up to that. You don't get a an 18 handicap hacker going around there trying to do that <laughs> because he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to do it. They say that they say that the original uh, comment from years ago was when a scratch golfer plays the Masters uh, for the first time, or not is in the Masters but plays Augusta. There's 99 percent of the time a scratch golfer won't break a hundred. Now, he knows when he's playing Augusta what he's he's going to be playing. He doesn't go and play it to break 66. Right. Because the myth of everything else that goes with it is taken away if you do that. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, George, let me ask you another question. Um, ever consider coming back to the U.S. For, for like a coaching tour or something like that? Um. No, all the time I'm all the time I'm still competing and still um, hopefully competing at a, at a highest level. I I enjoy doing some corporate coaching uh, in the UK and a little bit throughout Europe. But you know, I do so much travelling as it is. Um, you know, I mean, I just a, a, a scenario would be we were in uh, Spain last weekend. I was due to go to. Um, Hodnit this weekend for the British Grand Prix, but COVID will probably put a nail in that coffin. Uh, then next weekend I'm in Denmark, and the weekend after that I'm in Italy. So to actually to actually try and find a slot within that program is going to be difficult. Also, all the time I'm still competing, I don't believe that if you're going to give everybody everything in the coaching side of it. Um, you can coach to a really, really high level and still compete at the highest level because I think you see so many mistakes and you've got to, when you're coaching, you've got to live that shot because if you don't live that shot, you can't actually understand where people are going wrong and how they're going wrong and, and be able to analyse the shot. So one is, you know, you're probably going out firing a thousand shots a day in your mind, although you're not physically doing it. Um, and two, you know, if you're seeing of that of that thousand shots, you're seeing four to five hundred misses. It becomes muscle memory for you. And I and I'm not in a position in my career at the moment where I'm not totally bothered about uh, where I come in the field. I'd like to you know, still remain there or thereabouts at the top. And, you know, doing huge amounts of coaching um, doesn't sit with that. I, look, I would love to come and put something back into the US. I've had some tremendous victories over there. Everybody always treats me very well. I've got a lot of friends over there. Um, but I am I am in, at the moment in um, some, uh, some negotiations with uh, Anthony, 
with regards to to perhaps doing something uh, for next year, uh, not on a coaching basis, but I can't really say too much about it at the moment. But uh, for next year, there's a there's a there's a good chance that we, you know, I'll be uh, I'll be over there in some form or another. But uh, oh, you're teasing us! I'm, you're teasing us, George. Out, <laughs> I don't. You're teasing us. <laughs> You know, it is just got to cast that fly over and every now and again, something comes up for it. <laughs> you just, you just lit up the message boards for sure. Um, George, a few years back, you were on a podcast with David Rudolovich and he started to ask you questions and you interrupted him and you're like, look, let's get real about this. We're just breaking clay targets here. And which was hilarious, but true. Um, does that type of mindset, is that what helps take some of the pressure off at a big tournament or for you is it just look i've been doing this across five decades and winning it's just another day at the office no i don't look if you want to win it's never another day at the office but i think i think we need to we need to you know keep keep our feet on the ground and not lose sight of reality at the end of the day we're going out shooting clay targets just the same as Tiger Woods hits a golf ball and, you know, Max Verstappen drives a Formula One car. You're doing it as an entertainment industry, not only for yourself, but for the masses. Uh, We, I'm very lucky in the fact that uh, I'm in a partnership over here and I've got a, um, a partnership in a couple of restaurants locally. And at the moment, we've got uh, two and we're taking on a third Ukrainian girl where they're coming over from Ukraine. We're putting them up um, in the in the in the building, you know, in the, in, we've sort of got some rooms above one of the restaurants. We're putting them up in there and they're working in the restaurant. Uh, and you know, they're learning English, they're learning all the restaurant skills they've come, uh, not skilled at all, but everything they earn is they're sending back to their parents, which couldn't leave. Uh, and they're being bombed all around us. Now, I go out to a clay shoot on a Sunday morning and uh, you've got three girls, you know, working in the restaurant that their sole object is to earn enough money to be able to send back to their parents who they hope they're going to see again at some stage in the future. I've got to tell you, clay shooting doesn't matter that much, does it? No, wow. That's a good way to put it, George. Wow, you just, yeah, I'm I'm extremely... Taken aback and humbled now. Yeah. Well, and and, so, and that was the that was the purpose of the David. That was the purpose of the David comment. You know, we get very wrapped up in it, but at the end of the day, does it really matter? Yeah. Right. Right. It's, it's a bit like the problems we're having, George. Um, you know, people say, "Oh, why can't you get enough steel?" There's not enough steel at the moment in Europe to build hospitals. Who gives a crap about ammunition? Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we get kind of fixated on uh, when we're talking about things that we do and how it affects us directly, and we don't sometimes step back and take a look at the big picture. So maybe that would be better if we all were able to do that. But that, that's a good comment, George. Thanks for, for saying that. Um, all right, no, so no switching back, uh, switching gears here. So, uh, you know, it goes without saying, you've accomplished so much more in your career uh, than most shooters would ever dream about. And I know you've probably been asked this in many different ways. Can you attribute your level of success to anything in particular? As in, do you feel like you have any particular advantages you know, mentally or mechanically that other shooters may lack? 
or something that they haven't figured out? I mean, is it just that you're George Digweed and you're that good, or do you feel you've got an edge on people? Well, I started eating at a very early age. I didn't get blown over in the wind in San Antonio. (laughs) Same with me, George. Same with me. (laughs) That's possibly possibly an advantage that no one's thought of. Look, I've got – I'm very lucky in the fact that um, up until I woke up this morning, I had very good eyesight. It's it's quite blurred at the moment. Um, And I think if your eyesight's good – uh, and your mental side of, of what you do is good. As, I, as I've just said, you know, it doesn't really matter. We go out and we shoot. And if you come first, third, 10th or 35th, yes, it does matter if you're a pro shooter and, you're, and your whole sponsorship basis is, is, is around where you're supposed to be finishing and where you're coming. But, you know, all of my contracts that I that I endorse, be it Parazzi, be it Gamebore, be it Philip Peeler, be it, be it right the way through, and there's and I've got you know loads and loads, Promatic, CCI, Sends, those the whole lot is is all based on longevity, and and if if I win, I win, and if I don't win. I haven't changed as a person and and everything I'm doing has not changed. Um, and, and I definitely think that that over the last probably 20 years has, has had a, a big effect because at the end of the day, when you're winning world championships, for me at the moment, I'm, I'm just adding a number to it. And it actually almost devalues the more I add to it, the more it devalues what I've achieved because the more you add to it, people think it must be easy. Well, I can assure you it's not easy. But I think that that if I've got the support of everybody behind me, be it it Kate, be it my family, be it whoever, and and it doesn't really matter whether you win or not, then you're, you're stepping out into the ballpark with a completely different, uh, mindset to everybody else anyway. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, and let me just add on a little bit to that. So this might be a silly question. So just kind of laugh along with me if it is, do you enjoy, do you still enjoy shooting clays just for fun? Like, uh, I mean, you go to tournaments all year long and I know you're busy with that, but if you had to grab a couple buddies and go out to the field, would you still just go out and enjoy breaking clays or is it uh, lost a little bit of a luster over the years? I- I couldn't think of anything I'd rather do less. Uh, to be honest, I uh, I go out to compete um, to try my best, and you know, come down the stretch on a Sunday evening and be in contention. I can guarantee you, Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, those sort of people would not love the game of golf for the sake of playing the game of golf, they go out and compete because they want to be in contention Sunday afternoon for the back nine coming down the stretch. And that's exactly what I do it for. I do it to come down the stretch on a Sunday afternoon, knowing I'm there or thereabouts, or I need to work harder to get there or thereabouts. And then hopefully finishing it off. And if you don't finish it off, sitting there analysing what I've done and try and 
and try and put that right going forward for the next for the next event. Um, you've always got to you've always got to try and better yourself. You've always got to try and further yourself. And uh, as long as you don't stop doing that, I love shooting competitions. But to go out and and actually, I, I mean, look. To be fair, uh, I've got a lot of friends at home, and, and and those people that know me properly know that there's a there's a you know an ebullient an ebullient uh, cheekiness to everything we do. Uh, so it's not as though I'm I can't have fun. I can have as much fun and probably more than the next guy. But what people forget is that the territory, having won as much as I have, um, puts me that when I'm out shooting in a competition, I'm actually in the office and I'm not, you know, just going out to try and break a few plays. Well, you know, George, with that being said, how do you get over a slump? I mean, we, we've all had them in competitions, right? I mean, you, you know. Can you, I stop you there? You've got to yeah. have a slump to get over it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I didn't realize who Short, I was talking Short, sweet, to. and to the point. Uh, that was yes, beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> just, just, that's just like it's off, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I like it. I like it. He it's, doesn't dance around the issue. He just look, tells you what it look, is. In answer, to your, in answer to your question, I've had a slump for a period of time, probably six or seven years. We had a robbery at home, and it's you know it's been well stated all over the world uh, what happened. And, and I've tried too hard since that day to show the world that I could still win. Um, and it takes like anything; it takes time. And I tried to force an issue that needed to take time, um, and. In the last two or three years, I've got better and better and better. Um, and this year, I feel as though I'm not far off the old me. Uh, and where I finished 2015, uh, see, in 2015, I won all three world championships in the same year, which has never been done before. Uh, and then February 16, we had the robbery. So, um, you know, I... Up until that point, you feel as though you're invincible and then all of a sudden life changes forever. Uh, I went into, I'm not saying I went into a slump, I was still there or thereabouts, but I wasn't winning as much as I I could have done. And, you know, the Chinese whispers start, oh, he's finished and he's done this and he's, he's everything else. Well, look, that's fine, but the reality was that it takes you a few years to get your head around the fact that that may be the case, but if I never won another shoot, it didn't really matter because I'd won enough anyway. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I was talking about it with a friend of mine, Henry Arnold, driving back in the car on Sunday night. And, and if I actually went through what I've achieved this year already, most people would look at it as a lifetime achievement. And we're talking about a year in the life of. Um, so, you know, what is a slump? A slump is where you're not winning a world championship a year. Or tell me a sport where somebody does win a world championship a year. Right. No, um, right. True. True. You know what I'm saying? It's, uh, it's, uh, we all talk of slumps and that sort of thing, but it's basically social media hype trying to get into someone's head off the back of them not quite performing to where they're at. And look, the old adage, as you know, whether it's golf, whatever sport, 
form is temporary, class is permanent. You look at all the best shots. You look at the Richard Folds, you look at all of those, Anthony, Derek Mine, form is temporary sometimes, but class is permanent and it always shines through. Gotcha. Absolutely. I I think, George, you actually look back, though, for the last, you know, six years you're talking about. It's not as if you were coming uh, 100th out of 500. You were still in the top 10. It's just you wasn't winning. And obviously that's where you want to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. You were always still there. Yeah. and, And, but, you know, this is, and this is part of, you know, this is part of the, as I was talking about earlier on, this is part of the relationship that I forged with the people that support me and I support them. And in that and in that support structure, there wasn't a single person, even through the COVID times, there wasn't a single person turned around and said, Look, you know, with the greatest respects, we've had a you know, a great relationship over the years, but we're gonna have to let you go. Everybody was as much, if not more supportive than they were, um, you know, if it hadn't it hadn't been going on. So that gives you a that gives you a massive boost and, and a massive amount of self-esteem that that your actual peers and the people that you're representing are as are as uh, forward thinking as you are. Absolutely. I think I think you mentioned it, you know, uh, briefly a few minutes ago talking about sort of contracts. You know, we we don't actually have a contract in place between the two of us, do we? No. An official contract. Because the thing is, I look at a contract as a two-way street. Yes, we want to tie George Digweed up. We want him to use our ammo. We want to sell as many products as possible. But at the end of the day, if that product is not right for George, I want him to be able to walk away from us. If he doesn't think our product is good enough, he is free to go. Obviously, we'd hate to lose him, but I don't want to hold the guy back with inferior products. Well, you know, that says a lot right there because you're talking about someone that's won world championships across five decades. It's considered the greatest in the sport. You're talking about an ammo manufacturer that is probably, or is in our opinion anyway, the absolute best in the game. And you guys don't even have a contract that shows trust. It shows being a man of your word between the two of you. And that, that speaks volumes. It really does. Character. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. On both halves. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But, but, but it has to be, yeah. it has to be like that. And I see, I see so many alleged contracted shooters getting X amount of shells from different cartridge companies and selling them out to boot a car in, in car parks and shooting grounds and motorway service stations. Yeah. And, and, and all of a sudden, I think one, why would you do that? Why for for the for the fast buck? Why would you do that? And two, why would you kill the goose that lays a golden egg? And uh, right. <laughs> and unless there's unless there's a huge amount of trust there, um, you know, this is what I was talking about. And and I, you know, we are Paul and I have have a unique relationship as I do with all of my other all of my other contracted. Uh, things or as in contracted things most of it's done on a handshake and I'm very old fashioned and if you can't look someone in the eye and say I'm going to do this um, you know then you shouldn't be doing it 
I agree. Absolutely, 100,000% agree. Yep, well said. Well said. Well, George, with, with all that you've seen and done, is there anything left on your bucket list in shooting that you haven't accomplished or something that you're still trying to do? Um, no, look, I, I, uh, I see myself within the sport nowadays. I see myself within the sport nowadays as more of a, a Jack Nicholas type um, ambassador. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that, you know, I can still go to the events. I've got, I've got shooting based family and non shooting based family worldwide. Um, as in, you know, I've, I, we have been introduced to so many people, be it South Africa, Russia before, before obviously the issues, you know, Hungary, Australia, New Zealand, America. And, you know, we've got so many friends worldwide that if I packed up shooting, I would miss seeing them. Um, and whilst I'm never going to, you know, probably totally dominate again going forward, as I as I did have a period when I, I would say that, you know, I did fairly well dominate it between probably 13 and 15. Um, you know, I'm 58 years of age now. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not at my youngest. Um, it's a young man's sport. You've got to have good eyes, good reactions, um, be fit, sharp. Um, so if I can keep going around the world, competing, meeting the friends, representing the products, uh, and try my hardest to, to keep everything on a, on an even keel within the sport, then, uh, you know, that to me is what I I would like to achieve going forward. Um, and we can all talk about, you know, this and that, and winning this. But I've done my winning and, I, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And the sport has, has opened so many doors and, and given me so many opportunities uh, that it's time to sort of put something back into that. Gotcha. Um, well, with all your experience, I'm going to go off the grid here a little bit. This is, uh, this is just a curious question. One, one more personal than anything, um, here in the States, you know, we've got the NSCA and we've got our class system. I think you're kind of familiar with it for most shooters. You know, when me and Jason started, we started an E class and worked our way up, you know, as we earned punches and this is how the whole system works. Well, eventually you get to a point where you earn enough punches and you're good enough and you, wind up in master class, which is what happened to me last year. And one of the constant hot button topics over here is master class and what to do with it. <laughs> and you're probably already knowing where I'm going with this, George. Um, so for most of the guys in master class, they're guys like me. We work a full-time job. We go to these tournaments as, as our fun hobby vacation, whatever you want to call it. But we still have to compete against guys that, you know, formerly were in the PSCA, most of these guys shoot professionally as far as this is their job. They either coach or train or shoot nonstop, and they're not really going to or, a nine to five. Or you have to compete against guys like George when they make the trip over the pond here. Right, yeah, we're, we're, com- <laughs> we're competing against guys like you, George. So, um, you know, it's always been one of those hot-button topics over here. It's like, how do we make master class fair for both types of people? Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, or, like the true the true shooter, which is that's your job, that's what you do, uh, and you're coaching and all that stuff, or versus the guy that that's good enough, has enough skills to get there, 
But because, you know, he's working a 40, 50, 60 hour a week job, he doesn't have the time to go to the range all the time. He doesn't have the time to commit himself, you know, and he's basically going to a tournament knowing that if he goes to the U.S. Open, he's not going to place anywhere near the top with guys like you and Anthony and David and, you know, Gavin Miles and all those guys. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, I think, I think you've got to look at it. And, and, and the reality is I haven't sat down and given it, I haven't sat down and given it my full attention. But coming off the top of my head, I don't see there's any reason why you couldn't split. So our, our biggest class over, our highest attainable class over here is double A. So we shoot we shoot double A class and everybody is in double A class. Now for the major events, they split that and they give it up the, the people with the higher average uh, go into a triple A class for the major events. Now I don't see any reason why you couldn't split masterclass and have a pro class. And the pro class may be a smaller class. Uh, and if you're in any way, shape or form earning your living or shooting as a professional from shooting, then you go into the pro class and that's the class you compete in. Now, perhaps they may need to go out and find some outside sponsorship just to beef that class up. Right. But at least it will give the people that shoot in masterclass an opportunity of not shooting against them. And yeah. I think that's the biggest problem because currently the people that are in masterclass over here at the top of the game, when they play all the options, you know, when you you know you take nationals for example, I think there was seven over seven hundred people in masterclass, and they're playing class option for example. Look at all the money they can make if they win. Or right. If they get cl- you know, if they win their class option. Right. And I know so the biggest. You, well, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say. So when you break those pro shooters out, they're missing the bank there on a lot of money, and I think that's been a lot of the drawback from making the pro class. Yeah, the biggest hang up has been the money. Yeah, but then, but then, you know, you're going to just sit there and have the same argument going round and round in circles. Um, right. If you if you if you're going to include those guys in the competition in that class then you've either got to put up or shut up. And if you're going to take them out, then, you know, whether you may, you may find if you turn around and said, and you created the pro class within masterclass and said to them, the entry fee for you guys is a thousand bucks instead of 250 bucks, 750 bucks of that, is immediately returned into a prize fund, you know, all of a sudden there's some big money there to be made. Gotcha. That is a good idea. That is a good idea. Yeah. Not sure how well that'll be received by the pros, <laughs> quote unquote, but you know, well, I guess. But, we'll uh, but then, yeah, but then, but then you can't, you can't sit there and be a, you know, keyboard warrior at eight o'clock at night telling everybody how good you are. And when someone says, right, now you've got to stump up and show us how good you are, you can't then fall behind masterclass. 
Right. 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 Yeah, it's it's a tough nut to crack, that's for sure. It just keeps going round and round. I, again, I'm just dealing with it just because I got into it. Don't get me wrong. I still love being a master class, and I'll, I'll gladly go out and compete and rub shoulders with guys like you and, and the other pros in the United States here. It's just – it's like, well, you know, I just know that if I go to a U.S. Open or a national shoot, I'm not going to be anywhere near the top. <laughs> so, uh, anyways. Uh, yeah, go I appreciate your response on that, George. Well, George, when uh, when we told some of our sponsors that we were going to have you and Mr. James on the show, I got all I got lit up with all kinds of questions to throw at you. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you a few of those. Uh, one of them says here, what are your eyes seeing before you pull the trigger? Because your brakes are complete and rarely pieces or chips. Well, I can answer that. That's because you got game brand ammunition in the gun. <laughs> What's your response oh, to that, I George? I totally agree with that. It's nothing to do with George. <laughs> what was the question again? So he says here, he says, what are your eyes seeing before you pull the trigger? Because your brakes are complete and rarely have pieces or chips. Well, I'm seeing a whole clay. Seeing you smoking everything with your white gold. Yeah, well, before I've pulled the trigger, I'm seeing a whole clay. Gotcha. Easy enough. Yes. (laughs) Um, Another person here asks, explain your pre-shot routine and or how you plan the shot. I plan my shot. As soon as as we're shown the target, you instantly plan the shot, rightly or wrongly. Now, that's... And I've and I've mentioned it on on, on other other interviews that I've done. Uh, that's one thing that I think the the US lacks um, and is way behind on. I think their pro shooters over there, not all of them, but a lot of them, who are role models for for the people within the sport, take far far too long in their preparation for a shot. And uh, at the end of the day, in those super finals and televised bits, you are you're out there. You visualise a shot and you make the shot, staring into the abyss for a minute, trying to get your thoughts and move your hat, and then move your fingers up and down the line of the target before you've even loaded it. It's not very very good television, and not only that, it's not a very good spectator sport, and also. Also, these are role models, and if and if people think that that is the the thing that you have to do, everybody, the new generation of shooters, will all be taking, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it now. No names mentioned, but we're seeing the new generation of shooters coming through, taking forever to shoot. And you know, we're in the service industry, and uh, you're going to have you're going to have some major problems going forward if everybody takes five minutes to shoot four pairs of targets. So yeah. I think pre-shot routine, you make your mind up, you deal with that. There is actually there is actually a, a rule in the CPSA rulebook where uh, once you're in the cage, you've got 10 seconds to make the shot. Now, oh, wow. I'm, I'm led to believe that uh, the, the, the rulebook is being... Is being, you know, sort of the the NSCA rules and the CPSA rules are being amalgamated so that there's going to be one rule book. Well, that rule is actually in the CPSA rule book, and I would like to see it stay. And then in some of these big events, enforce it. And if you if you know if you enforce it and they get a warning to start with, continue to do it and lose a target, 
believe me, they won't be doing it for very long. Yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. Um, okay, here's another one. Speaking of the NSCA and the CPSA, uh, do you see that there's anything majorly missing from sporting clays in terms of the overall game or events? No, you're never going to get you're never going to get TV in it. Um, I I'm a I'm a massive believer in that you know these events should be first past the post. A lot of these, uh, all right, perhaps for the world championship uh, to have a final um, is is okay, but but effectively you're asking the guy who's gone out there and shot the best all week to win it again. Yeah. And you know, if there was if there was loads of TV there, and and the sport was being showcased through the television through the final off the back of it, then I can understand it. But at these events, there's no television, there's no showcasing of the event. So what are we doing it for? And 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 you know, here we are again. Here we are again. And and, and I think over in the UK, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. You know, you can have a have a an event, uh, and we've had two or three recently, where you qualify during the week, and then you all have to go back up and shoot another event on the Sunday. Well, the chances of shooting the qualifying event, winning it, and going back and beating everybody again on the final day are, you know, almost negligible. Plus the fact that, you know, for us. Uh, one of the grounds was four hours away, so we've done 250 quid's worth of diesel. Um, you're taking another day out. You have a hotel the night before, and all of a sudden, you know, where the cost of living and people aren't going to be able to afford to do it. So, you know, as soon as some of the, uh, the CPSA and the NSCA wake up and smell the coffee, I, you know, these finals, I don't think are a necessity perhaps in one or two events maybe but not in a not in a an overall scheme of things that every shoot needs a final and then you know i think that if you're taking out if you're taking out that expense out of the shooter and and you're having the event as first past the post and what day you shoot during the week makes a difference to whether you can win the event or not all of a sudden you're generating an atmosphere back into the event, which it doesn't really matter when you go there now because whatever the weather conditions are on that day, you can only qualify. Yeah. So, so the event only has an atmosphere on the final. So just so people, I want to clarify, just so people understand what you're saying, you're talking about having a super final and not the shoot-off. I'm talking, yeah, so so – there's, there's some of the events in the UK have a super final at the end of it. Right. And some of them have a complete day's shooting. So there would be a three or four day qualifying period and maybe 10 from each class qualify from that all day. And those people then go back on the Sunday and shoot a completely different round of targets. And the winner is concluded from those, those things. And what's gone on during the week is irrelevant. Wow. That's tough. Yeah, that does make it very tough. I can't see anybody so, staying in the middle. And, and, you know, the expense and everything that's associated with it, I just think it's unnecessary. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree. 
Well, George, we got one last question here from our uh, sponsor list that was set in. Uh, they say, name three shooters you respect the most and one or two that we should all look out for. Um, I've got a huge amount of respect for, uh, for Anthony. Got a huge amount of respect for Anthony. Yep. Uh, I've got a huge amount of respect for Richard Fold. Um, and also, um, there's a, there's a guy, when you think that, you know, Hungary is, is such a small population, um, Andras Chesahay has, has taken, you know, the sport in Hungary, got hold of it by the neck, um, and through his own performances, dragged the sport right up to the point where there's four or five Hungarian shooters now. Um, Thomas Cherry, you know, those sort of people are all competing at a world level, and he's done that single-handedly. So that, to me, is a, you know, a massive respect that he's taken a, a, a country that was not renowned for its uh, shooting abilities and he's taken that forward and single-handedly you know we now have a lot of events in Hungary a lot of European events and they are very well attended and very well run and that's mainly off the back of what he's achieved um, so those three guys I uh, you know I have got huge amounts of respect for and and people to look out for there's I shot with a, a French guy I shot with a French guy and I can't remember his name um, this last weekend in Spain and technically he looked perfect um, he would only be 18 or 19 um, but he looked absolutely perfect. And I think that, uh, I think he'll go a long way within the sport. But yet again, you know, I, I'm sort of loathe to, to put names out. I'm loathe to put names out when, you know, those names at the end of it may have two or three years and then drift off into pastures new. Right. One, one, one person that has impressed me, um, and hasn't been on the hasn't been on the scene very long. Is uh, Karen Shed, uh, Gavin's girlfriend? Uh, she shoots very very well, uh, from what I've seen of her. And obviously, uh, as a couple, um, you know they they would be talking and and uh, talking about the right things most of the time. So I would think that her her brain uh, will be uh, conditioned into that of a winner before very long. I would have to agree with you for sure. Yep, she's definitely talented, absolutely. Well, Mr. James, you're being awful quiet over there. Do you do you do you uh do you have anything new on the horizon for Game Board that you can share with us or are we on lockdown for that? <laughs> no, no, we we're, we're always looking at sort of bettering ourselves and developing new products. Um I can't give you too much away obviously cuz I don't want my competitors in the listing getting any insight. Right. right. Uh, so uh, what we are doing, I'm working with the guys from KL. Um, I'll be coming over to the Nationals in San Antonio, and uh, we've got a couple of cool new products for 23, um, a product that's going to sit alongside the white gold. 
slightly different shooting characteristics, so a little bit smoother. Um, look, George, George doesn't even know about this at the minute. I think he's got to do all the testing. Um, so he's going to be busy in the next few months. And then a very, very high level. It's almost like a dark storm with a turbo, which is going to be the highest quality product we've ever produced. Wow. Mm. So, uh, so a nice let's say uh, top tier product and an elite product. Wow. Wow. So now oh, you okay. and George both have teased us on this podcast. I know, right? This isn't fair. <laughs> Not fair. <laughs> so some people might hate me for the, the, the top tier product because they'll feel like that they need to get a loan. But if you're looking for the perfect load with the ultimate quality as like a top, top, top tier load, okay. we'll have it for you. And I take it that's something you guys have been working on for quite a while then. Yeah, we're just, we're just trying to get the key components at the moment and we're just finalizing sort of, look, I'll be honest with you, we never nailed the first spec. It's a bit like uh, George made a uh, reference to you don't pass your driving test in a Ferrari. The, the technicians at Ferrari don't develop, they, they don't test drive the cars, they develop the cars and then you put the professional racing driver in that car to tell them it's perfect. So what we do ballistically, develop all the ammo, pass it over to George, and very rarely is he happy with the first sample. You know, they're not bad samples, but we don't just say, hey, George, we sponsor you, shut up, this is what you're shooting. He does have a big say on what we do, and we we, we do, uh, well, sometimes we've done three or four or five samples to get products right. But it uh, it obviously pays because they're doing the business um, for George and the rest of the shooters at World Championships we're, we're aligned with. Well, uh, I heard George coughing there. George, I don't want to necessarily have to keep you on here any longer than you, you have been. And, I, and, again, I appreciate the time that you've spent with us and being that you're under the weather and dealing with COVID. So uh, unless there's something else you guys want to mention, uh, we can try to get this wrapped up and, I guess, let George get back to bed. Hey, no, no, I'm, uh, I'm done with it. If you ever want anything else, just uh... – Give us a shout, and I'm sure that uh, you know Paul and I will be happy to come back on at a later stage. Well, George, Absolutely. when you when you and Anthony get that that info put together, and and it's time to announce it, let us know. We'll be more than happy to get it out for you. And Mr. James, you know we're very thankful for the support from the KL guys and Game Boar. And if you know when it comes time to announce that new product, man, please share it with us. We'd be we'd be more than happy to to share it with our listeners. No, I appreciate that. hundred percent. We'll, uh, we'll keep you in the loop, but we're looking for a launch at nationals. So oh, okay. not too far. Away. Perfect. Excellent. Perfect. Well, a big thank you to both, uh, George and Paul, uh, again, uh, we know you're busy guys and we really appreciate it, uh, that you sat down with us and spent some time with us. Uh, I think our listeners are going to get a real kick out of this, uh, with all the information we kind of discussed here and, uh, really look forward to, sh- to seeing you guys, uh, George, hopefully we'll see you out on the, out on the course again real soon. And, and Paul, you know, maybe we can bump into each other if you're coming over for the nationals, uh, this year. Yeah. Sure. Look forward to it. Very honored. Okay, guys. Very honored to have both of you on. Go ahead, George. No, thanks very much, and uh, I wish you all the best going forward. You know these these sort of podcasters, as long as they're done in the right, as long as they're done in the right manner, um, are very very informative to uh, to a lot of the uh, the shooting public that actually get an unbiased, uh, proper view of what is where it's at. 
I agree. Yes, I agree. sir. Well, thank you. We'll try to keep doing our best. Uh, but, George, get back to bed. I hope you rest up and get to, get well real soon. And uh, I'm sure we'll run into you and Paul to, at a future date. Right. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, guys. And uh, we'll catch up soon. All right. Fantastic. Take, take care. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> right? George Digweed. That was George and Digweed. Paul James. That was D- George Digweed and Paul James of Game Boy. That was great. Oh my gosh. I got to take a breather. Take a breather. We're going to come right back with a quick segment from both Rhino and Ranger, and then we'll see you guys here on the wrap up. All right, I'm excited about this one. We've got Kagan Boone on the phone with us. Kagan, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good. Good morning, Kagan. How you doing, sir? Good morning. I'm doing good. Hey, do us a favor, Kagan. Let everybody know um, where you live, how you got started in this. How old are you, by the way? Uh, I'm 14. And and where are you from? I'm from Scott, Louisiana. Awesome. And I got uh, I got started in fourth grade with, uh, through 4-H at my school. Very cool. And now you shoot for SCTP, correct? No, sir. I shoot for. Uh, I just started shooting for NSCA in the past few years. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So gotcha. you 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 bypass all SCTP. He, he went to the big boy league right to, away. He stepped <laughs> off into the pool. So yes, sir. What what class do you shoot, bud? Um, I was shooting in D class, and then I went to NSCA State for Louisiana not too long ago, and I won my class in the main, so I bumped up to C class. Very nice. Congratulations on that. That's yeah, awesome. Climbing that hill. Thank you. So, um, tell us, what gun do you shoot? I shoot a Beretta A400 Excel. Very nice. 12 gauge. Very nice. I think nice. we know somebody that won the Nationals and the Jack Links Cup with that exact I, I, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, he's on the right path. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, Keegan, we're talking rhino chokes here. How did that come to be? How did you find you some rhino chokes? Um, well, my dad knows Mr. Jody. Okay. Which, um, and he got us hooked on rhino chokes, and I started using them. And ever since then, I've just seen my scores go up. And they give amazing patterns, and they're easy to clean. And they just worked out. And Gotcha. Do you know which models you're shooting? Are you shooting the new Elite Series or the Gen 1s or the Gen 2s? I'm shooting the Elite Series, yes, sir. Gotcha. And what's your favorite constriction when you're out there on the Sporting Clays course? Um, I use the, I guess it's called the middle one, the orange one. The 17s. One. 17s, yeah. yep. Yes, sir. That thing I will, use that one for trap and uh, sporting clays. That thing will hammer some targets, won't it? Yes, sir, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do you have any other work done by Rhino? Like, do you have any barrel porting or any uh, um, barrel forcing cone uh, lengthening or butt pads or gray call adjustments or any of that kind of stuff from them? Oh, uh, I do have barrel porting on my gun from Rhino. Gotcha. Nice. Now, yes, Keegan, we know that that A400 doesn't recoil a whole bunch, so I imagine the muzzle rise is what that really took care of with that barrel porting. Am I right? Yes, sir, it did. What, did you notice a big difference as soon as you had it done? I did. It was a big old difference in kick. Like it reduced the kick a lot. Yeah, because that, that doesn't let that barrel jump up and hit you in the cheek as bad, and you know, I'm, I'm, no, sure, sir. I'm sure you'll agree, like, especially on like a quick true pair or something, that reduction of barrel rise helps you get on that second target a little bit faster, doesn't it? Yes, sir. It keeps your barrel down, allows you to find that next target. 
Yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's a great it's a great thing. I think more people will be getting that done here soon once they hear about this. Yes, sir. Well, Keegan, listen, buddy, we really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. You got anything else you want to add? Um, just I want everyone to keep shooting. It's a fun sport. It's amazing to stay in it. Yes, sir. And uh, um, amazing customer service by Rhino. They're always there if you need anything. They're good people, aren't they? Yes, sir. Yeah, they're great over there at Rhino. Well, Kagan, we really appreciate the time. And, again, we want to wish you the very best for the rest of your 2022 season. Get out there and break them all, buddy, okay? Yes, sir. Well, thank you. It's been Uh, nice talking to y'all. It's been very nice talking to you, too, Kagan. We we appreciate it, bud. All right. All right. Take care, Ian. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Joining us on the phone for this RE Ranger segment is Ben Shelley. Ben, how you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Sean. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. I got Jason sitting across from me here. Hey, Ben, do us all a favor and tell everybody where you're from and uh, tell us how you got started in this crazy game of sporting clays. So I'm from Lexington, Kentucky, and I got started when I was about nine years old or so. My local 4-H club sent home some forms, and I thought it was real interesting, read about it, and kind of had to beg my mom a little bit. She wasn't too big on the gun thing, but... Once I got her sold on it, it was I hit the ground running from there and I've been doing it ever since. Wow. And how long ago was that? That would have been back in probably 13 years ago. Oh, wow. wow. So you've been shooting quite a while then. So uh, what class do you currently compete in, Ben? So I'm currently competing in B class as of this year. Uh, I've been working my way up. I started all the way at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But we're uh, we're slowly and surely getting up there. Gotcha. Well, it's definitely a slippery slope. We all know how much we enjoy this sport. It seems like once you get into it, it gets its hooks into you, and then you can't get away from it. Yeah. <laughs> so That's true. <laughs> well, um, so we want to talk to you a little bit about RE Ranger. I, I think we were talking earlier, you said you've got the new React Lens kit. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, I've been uh, working with Randolph for the past couple months, and they've, uh, they were able to send those out to me and been able to get them out on this course and play around with them a little bit. Well, let, let me ask you this, Ben. Um, Obviously, you believed in Rangers because you had them before the Reacts, right? And then now you've gone to the Reacts. How has that changed for you, or what are you seeing better or differently than you did on just the standard lenses? The main thing that I've seen with the Reacts is there's really, it takes out a lot of the questions that you have in terms of, you know, if they've got different types of orange lenses or yellow lenses or the purple variety. And with the Reacts, it really takes out the question of, well, do I need this shade? Do I need a lighter shade of orange or a darker shade of orange? You just put the orange lens on and go. Nice. All right. Nice. Um, so what uh, what models are you shooting? Are you shooting the Falcons or? Uh... I've got the Falcon Pros, yes. Falcon Pros, gotcha. That's what I shoot with. They're great lenses. Um, as far as anybody that was, if you were actually going to talk to somebody and they were kind of on the fence about maybe going with the Rangers, what kind of advice would you give them or what kind of, you know, stuff would you tell them to maybe persuade them to go with the Rangers? So I would say typically your biggest argument that you get is it's always the Rangers versus the Pilas. At least mm-hmm. that's what I normally see down here in Kentucky. Sure. And I know the Pilas have that massive price point that turns a lot of people off. But to me, just in terms of quality, Ranger pretty much matches the Pilas step for step, even in the, in the, even in the price category. Gotcha. Yeah. And I know that's a big debate amongst a lot of people. And, and I've shot in Pilas and I've shot in Rangers. I really like those react lenses. Something about them. They are just, Super, super, super great to look through, and they seem to make the target just jump out at you. Well, you know, let me ask you this. Have, will you say, go as far to say, is that it's helped your shooting since you've had them? Oh, definitely. I've, I've definitely picked up quite a few targets out on the course. 
Um, like I said, the main thing is it takes the guesswork out of trying to pick a different lens. Yeah. I used to have the Ranger Outlaw lenses, and I had probably two or three different shades of orange and a couple of different shades of yellow and probably one or two different shades of purple. And for me, when I get up into the stand, especially down here in Kentucky, we've got a lot of different green backgrounds. Sometimes you're going in and out of the woods. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I would get in the stand, I'd have to kind of think, do I need to swap out lenses? Versus with these, I can pretty much, you know, if it's sunny, I'll put the purple lenses in and go all day. If it's a little cloudy, I'll put the orange or yellow in and then go the whole day. And I don't really have to ever change anything. Yeah, the simplicity of that three lens kit and, you know, the wide variety of backgrounds that each one of them will cover is very helpful, I think. I would I would 100% agree. Gotcha. Well, Ben, we want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to spend this uh, segment with us. And uh, any final closing thoughts or anything before we let you go? Uh, no, sir. Thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Ben. We look forward to maybe running into you out on the course here soon. Yes, sir. Will do. All right, man. See you, Ben. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Sean, I, I just, I'm still, I, I mean, I know we just did a segment with Ranger and, and Rhino, but it's like uh, George Digweed and Paul James. That was George Digweed <laughs> on the phone with us. <laughs> oh, man. All the way across from jolly old England. Go ahead. Tell everybody. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just. No, no. Go ahead and tell him how bad I was shaking. I know you. This on the tip of your tongue. I, I know Jason gets a little starstruck with some of the big names. No, it's not starstruck. There's a difference. Okay. He, what, what's the word I want to use then? Respect. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But I'm just saying. I mean, I, I know you just definitely hold guys like that in such high acclaim that it's a big deal. And I, and again, no, no disrespect, to George. I do too. But uh, I, I definitely see that you get visibly nervous yeah. <laughs> when you're talking to guys of that caliber. Yeah, so that's just kind of funny. That's just me. It's just my brain. It's all good, man. It's all good. It's cool. It's like cool. Chad says on a rev loaner, but you know what? I mean, I was, I was taken aback the first time I talked to David. Now I know him as this just big headed, you know, non phone call returning. <laughs> Never mind, I won't go on. But anyway, put um, us to work to death at the FS uh, oh, Invitational. God. Hey, cool, you guys are here. Do you mind like picking up shells for four hours? Yeah, and loading fifteen hundred traps, loading no. traps, and moving signs, and playing shuttle driver. And oh yeah, I need both of you certified for AFS referees, and you know. Small ask. Small ask. Just a small, small ask. ask. Yeah, we love David. You think you'd get a guy to return a phone call for all that, you know? Uh, you'd kind of think so. <laughs> we love you, David. We're just teasing. We're uh, just teasing. Anyway, so, um, man, we I'm telling you, we got some big stuff coming up. If you think Digweed was big, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff in the pipe. Uh, hopefully, you guys will be uh, tuning back in. I mean, it's... <sighs> there's no rest for the wicked and we're doing this as a labor of love as we keep saying so but well hold on a minute i know you're trying to wrap up and get out of here but, no 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 not at all not at um all. let's take what george said to heart here you know we, we talked a lot about about the new guys right yep and we say every week take someone new shooting took them to a tournament which i think you should i think that's the grassroots i think that's how you grow the sport but let's let's listen to what george had to say I yeah think he's I, got a good insight I, I think he made a good point about you know me and you kind of got beat up a little bit at the U.S. Open, okay? And, and kind of? I'm trying to be kind. I'm trying kinda? to be kind. And, and, you know, the Jack Links tournament's always a, a tough tournament, uh, even though it was the uh, Gator Cup prior. I mean, they're big targets. Let's put it this way. They're big boy targets. They're geared for Anthony, David, Gavin, you know, Corey Cruz, all those guys. You know, those, those are the guys that they build those tournaments around. Right. Um, if you're a new shooter just coming into the sport, E-class, D-class, C-class, you know, hey, listen, we're not trying to talk you out of it to go to those big shoots, but just realize that they're big shoots, and they're probably going to throw a lot of targets that 
you don't have any experience with. They're going to fluster you, but you got to go for the experience. I mean, you're rubbing shoulders literally on the same cart path with, you know, former PSCA pros. But um, Kevin DeMichael said it on a podcast. He said, look, if you're going to get better, you can't shoot your local club all the time. You've got to get out and see some big targets. Amen. And, and we've proven that because, you know, we've – Ohio let's, – let's put it this way. Ohio has no slouches. We've got several good clubs that throw – Good targets. I mean, any right. anywhere that come, anybody that come in from in, in the country would say that Eagles Nest, Cardinal, South Cuyahoga, Hillendale, Hillendale, they all throw good targets, and it's worth going to a tournament there. But you got to go up another level. You know, you're more along the lines of a regional, right? When you go to a Jack Links or a Gator Cup, definitely a Nationals, definitely a U.S. Right. Right. So you know, just kind of pick your poison. I mean. Again, hey, somebody's going to win. Everybody's got to shoot the same target. So we're not trying to discourage any lower-class shooters from going to these things. Plan a vacation around it. Have fun. Take it for what it is. And, uh, you know, just experience it. One last little tidbit. Everybody knows I've been struggling, right? It's mm-hmm. no secret. Yeah. Okay? Like, I'm shooting less than E-class scores. You know, I mean, I, I'm struggling bad. You saw it last weekend. I did. Um, I did. And, and it's dumb stuff, Right. I mean, let's let's be honest. I didn't forget how to shoot, so I kind of stumbled upon something, and I kind of called one of our previous guests, and I'm working with this person, and I'm going to fully document everything from start to finish. Okay, we're going to see how things go, and this could be something big that I can share with our listeners. Now, I know I'm teasing everybody. Of course, George and Paul both teased all of us earlier in the show, but right, I'm teasing yeah. you again. Yeah. So, um. There's there's something to this, and I and I think this is going to be very beneficial to our listeners. But I need to prove it to myself first. Uh, it's kind of like with our sponsors and their products, Sean. We believe in them, and that's why we chose to accept their support, right? Yep. Um, and and we're speaking about Bear Pelt and Atlas Traps and Oda Pro, uh, Negrini cases, uh, Rhino Chokes, RE Ranger, Game Boy US KOMO, White Flyer targets, and and folded wing apparel. Same thing here. I'm doing something new with one of our previous guests, and I'm still working with Chad Roberts. Don't let's let's not misunderstand that. But this is beyond practice and training. So I'm going to document the whole journey, and if my scores start to turn around and I start to become who I was a year ago, I'm going to let everybody in on it. I'm not going to keep anything back. Please and, do. I mean, and, and I wish you nothing but the best. You know that. I know you do. Um, you, you're you're just a regular old friendly mammal friend. Really? <laughs> oh, God love you, Sean. All right. Edit that part, Jules. Uh, the last time you said that, she didn't do it. I, I know. She thought it was funny. Yeah, Jules, edit that. No, don't, babe. <laughs> God. Well, I said don't, so she will. So, so. she will. <laughs> right. But anyway, let's get out of here. Okay. Well, everybody, again, we take somebody shooting, take somebody new to a, a tournament. Uh, we practice and we preach it all the time. I mean, bring new people into the sport. That's the only way we're going to grow this thing and keep it getting uh, better and bigger. And until next time, we'll catch you all right back here on the Dead Pair Podcast. <laughs>